every American citizen must have an equal right to vote. The administration of elections is primarily a state and local responsibility. Whether you voted for the very first time or waited in line for a very long time, by the way, we have to fix that. Welcome to High Turnout Wide Margins. This is Brianna Lennon. I'm the county clerk in Boone County. With me is my co-host. Eric Fay, Director of Elections in St. Louis County, Missouri. And we're really excited to be talking about risk-limiting audits today. It's something that Missouri does not have, but several of us have been interested in, so we're really excited to talk to Monica. And so welcome to the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Can you give a little background on how you work, how you got to work in elections and really how you got to be working on risk limiting audits in particular? It's sort of a windy road. I actually started as a legislative aide after college and uh, into grad school working in state legislatures and working on policy and drafting legislative language. And from there moved into for-profit partisan campaign work, which was really exciting. But I think for me, one of the things I learned pretty quickly is I'm very drawn to public service and the for-profit world was not really something I loved. So I moved over to nonprofit election administration work. And of course, because I had worked on campaigns, I came over thinking I knew everything about elections and how they worked and got a big shock uh, the first year listening to election administrators and having folks teach me what they did and how their offices ran. And it's still one of the big conversations I have with all my campaign friends about, "Mm, you don't actually know how we run elections in this country. It's very different than what you think it is. So I've been doing that on the nonprofit side for nonpartisan organizations uh, for about the past seven years. Just because I am personally interested, you've grown your skill set to include a lot more technology, I think, than just the policy aspects that you've been working on. So how did that come about? Yeah, when I was working on the campaign side, I actually got pulled into um, campaign technology. Websites were really new. Um, We were just starting to use them to collect campaign donations and things like that and sign up volunteers. And I actually started out training candidates on how to use social media back when we called it, uh, you know, new media and it was all very new you know, training congressmen on how to use Twitter to engage their audiences and and having fun conversations about, wait, people can talk back to me? I don't want that. That's not, that's not what we do. So uh, it was an interesting time back at, back at the beginning of, of social media. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. Do you, so do you bear some responsibility for everything that's happened now, telling all these elected officials how to use Twitter? I certainly hadn't made that connection, but I probably do. I'm I'm sure there's a special circle of hell reserved for me for introducing politicians to Twitter. Yeah. So as you've um, seen the light come over to the election side of things, what piqued your interest? Because I know, you know, there's so many different avenues you can go in an election policy in working on integrity and general improvements to the whole process. How did you end up working on the audit portion of it? Because Arguably, it's the part that nobody really knows happens in the first place. The general public is not aware that after the election that there's a whole slew of things that election administrators are doing. And to get involved in especially auditing reform, 
how, how did that come about? Yeah, that was sort of an accident. So I'm a problem solver at heart and my favorite way to work um, as a technologist is just to go listen to election administrators because all of you have things you want to be better in your offices. And there's usually a technology that can help, but because of resources or time commitments or whatever, it hasn't been possible. So every project that I've worked on has just been something that an election administrator or more than one has brought to me um, and said, hey, we need help with you know tracking absentee ballots or voter registration or that kind of thing, which was the stuff I was working on before audits. And you know, Colorado was looking for someone to take on development of their risk limiting audit tool. They were the first state to implement RLAs statewide. And one of the things that they sort of found out in the course of their decade piloting and rolling out these audits was that you really needed some sort of technology to coordinate the audit across counties or local jurisdictions. Um, because when you do a statewide audit, you're actually pulling a statewide sample of ballots that will include a certain set of ballots from every different jurisdiction. And so there's got to be some way to both get each individual jurisdiction their list of ballots and then give them a way to report results, but then also collate those all together and roll it up into one statewide result. And so that's where the technology really came in. And Colorado um, asked us to put in a bid to work on it. This was back when I was working at Democracy Works and we did and, and were successful. And partnering with them on how to make their auditing process as efficient, as painless as possible for local election officials. So getting into audits wasn't really anything that I was looking for. I'm not a math person. I'm not a statistician. If you told me that I would be um, helping people understand statistical processes 10 years ago, I would have laughed you out of the room. But one of the things that's really been encouraging about it is that the process itself is actually pretty simple. And so getting a good process down and refining that process into something that can work nationwide, sort of taking Colorado's example and then making it multi-purpose, making it um, accessible and available to folks who aren't in Colorado and maybe don't count their ballots entirely centrally and things like that has been really rewarding um, because now we have a process that can really work anywhere in the country. And that's, that's exciting. You know, we saw a lot this past year um, about questions people had about the tabulators and whether they were counting votes correctly. And that's the thing that these audits are directly targeting is making sure voters can have confidence that the tabulators told us the right winner and nothing weird happened that would change that outcome. So it's turned out to be pretty timely work. I don't know that I would have chosen that, but it's, it's turned out to be pretty timely. I guess backing up lots of places have some sort of audit in place right now. Missouri has a 5% audit where we do a hand count of 5% of the precincts after to make sure, like you said, that the results on the tabulators match what you would do if you had done a hand count. Can you define what an RLA is and how it differs from that and how it helps in answering the question of how do you know that everything was done correctly? So a risk limiting audit is just a specific type of post-election tabulation audit. We do lots of audits in election administration. There are lots of different kinds. They all look at slightly different things. You know, you can have procedural audits that make sure you put all your notices in the newspaper and make sure your chain of custody documentation is all in place and that kind of thing. Um, a lot of states do what we think of as a traditional tabulation audit. 
a certain percentage of tabulators or precincts that we go in and we hand recount all the ballots and make sure our numbers match. And that's what folks are used to. That's super valuable. There's nothing wrong with that kind of traditional tabulation audit. It answers a slightly different question though. The traditional audit can tell you whether those specific precincts or those specific tabulators were counted correctly. And they're really good for sort of identifying if you have any widespread problems in how your tabulation system is counting certain types of ballots. For example, if it's you know, missing overvotes or something like that, um, or not counting purple pen or something, it, they can tell you those kinds of things if they happen to catch them. But it doesn't tell you much about the overall winner of the election. You know, for that, you really need to know that all the ballots were counted correctly. And traditional audits have only looked at a small percentage of the ballots because there are only a few tabulators or only a few precincts. And what became clear is that if you really were trying to mess with an election outcome, you could just mess with a different set of machines, right? Or you could mess with a different set of precincts and they're randomly chosen, but it doesn't really give you any confidence on the overall result of the election. Now we have a way to do that. It's called a full hand recount, right? <laughs> but nobody wants to do that, at least not as a standard procedure after every election, because it's really expensive in terms of manpower, in terms of time. And so every state varies, but most states really only do full hand recounts in the case of elections that are tight margins. So anywhere between 1% or half a percent, it differs from state to state. So the RLAs were developed sort of to solve the problem of what if we really do want to check that the overall winner was right, the outcome was right, and what if we want to do it consistently after every election? We can't do a full hand recount after every election. It's just not possible. Is there a way we can make this process efficient enough to give you the same kind of confidence that a full hand recount would give you, but at a much lower cost? And that is where the risk limiting audit process came in. And what they figured out is you can look at a random sample of ballots if they are evenly distributed across the entire election. So remember our random sample of precincts or tabulators in a traditional audit? That's bounded by those precincts and tabulators, right? Those create artificial groupings of ballots to look at. And the problem is you're not gonna get a representative sample of the whole because of those artificial groupings. So an RLA says, instead of choosing a set of tabulators or a set of precincts, let's get a big bucket of all the ballots for the entire election and we're gonna randomly select individual ballots or individual batches of ballots from across the entire grouping. And because we can do that more randomly, we can actually get a sample that's representative of the whole. And the neat thing about that is then once you have a representative sample, that sample can be bigger or smaller depending on the margin of the election, but you can usually look at far fewer ballots, certainly not all of them the way you would have to in a recount. And so that makes it wildly more efficient for all but the closest races. And again, it depends on the margin, right? It makes sense if you're an attacker and you have a race that's really close, you would only have to flip a couple ballots to change the outcome. So we have to look at a pretty big sample to make sure that we'll randomly select a couple of those ballots if there's only a few. And the converse is also true. If it's a big margin, then you really only have to look at a few ballots because you would have to change a lot of them if you were gonna flip the outcome. Um, and so your chances of seeing them are much greater.
So it's basically an inverse. The, the wider your margin, the fewer number of ballots you have to look at in an RLA. And the smaller your margin, the larger number you have to look at. As is no surprise to anybody who's listened to this podcast, <clears throat> I'm not a very exciting person to listen to. And I have found that when I start talking to somebody about a risk-limiting audit, then the eyes really glaze over. So have you found, I mean, you've been, this is a big thrust of your work. What are some good selling points that an election administrator can use to, let's say, a, a state legislator, some other decision maker, somebody, you know, a political party operative that you're trying to explain this process to and sell the idea to? Yeah, I mean, I tend to put it in the context of larger election security, right? Um, as we've gotten more and more concerned about election security and specifically cybersecurity, the whole country has moved back to systems that produce paper ballots because that's an unhackable record. Well, there's one piece of technology we still rely on even when we have those paper ballots and that's those scanners, those tabulators that we use to scan the ballots and interpret the votes on those ballots and tally them up, count our votes. And so this is a check on those tabulators to make sure that nothing they could have done could have changed the outcome. And with, you know, with all the conversations that we've had about machines flipping votes, I think people are starting to get that if something's gonna happen, that's a key place to look. So being able to give a voter confidence and say, this is how we check that nothing that could have happened with the tabulators changed the outcome. It, it tends to be pretty persuasive. The statistics and how it actually works and how it actually scales, honestly, that's, that's less important for people to understand, unless they're curious, in which case you can dive in. The other thing that's interesting about talking about these is that the word audit can be a little bit problematic for people. Sometimes people think that if you're auditing, it must be because something went wrong, right? So I tend to talk about it as a quality assurance check um, or a check and balance after the election. You know, we do our logic and accuracy testing before the election to make sure everything's functioning well on the front end. The RLA is kind of our, our bookend on the other side of the election to make sure everything has gone correctly in the tabulation on the back end. One of the things that you've been doing, I know, is pilots with a lot of different places because there are still only a handful of states. Well, how many states actually require risk limiting audit other than Colorado at this point? Colorado does. Rhode Island does. Um, Virginia does. In part, their legislation is in flux a little bit, but they do as well. And then Michigan and Pennsylvania um, have been piloting extensively. Georgia has started to require it. They require audits now. They don't require necessarily risk-limiting audits, but the state has proactively uh, made the choice to go ahead and if they're going to put an audit procedure in place, they might as well go to the gold standard um, right away. And so they've been piloting as well. California actually has risk-limiting audit legislation that's been in place uh, over the past year and they're continuing it as well. Um, so quite a few states are, are either putting it into legislation, either in sort of a pilot program kind of way where jurisdictions can pilot it, but they don't have to, or actually implementing it. And that's something we really encourage is pilot programs, you know, giving election administrators a chance to try something out, really kick the tires, figure out how it works for them. Even simple things like how you store your ballots and where, how are you labeling your ballot containers? What are you naming them? How are you tracing that ballot's path from, you know, if it's a mail ballot, when you first get it in, checking the signature, approving it, putting it into a stack, 
you know, getting it through a scanner and then storage, being able to track every individual ballot all the way through that process is sort of um, the, the secret sauce of making the auditing really easy. And that kind of ballot reconciliation processes are things that folks really need to, to try the audit process once to see why it matters and then get better at it over time. So we love seeing those pilots. Colorado took almost a decade. They also changed their entire voting system as part of this process and went to a, an all male plus voting system so that they could scan everything centrally and use a specific flavor of the RLA. But it took them a decade of really trying a lot of different methods and a lot of different procedures and, and figuring out which one was going to work best for them. Luckily, it's not taking other states a decade. We've, we have scaled up from individual county pilots or, or local more township pilots, if you're in a Michigan or a Wisconsin or something like that, to full statewide pilots in a year in most states, which is just really, really impressive. But that speaks to the work that Colorado put in um, at the beginning to sort of give us all a good start on, on what would work best for, for doing these in a coordinated fashion. You mentioned uh, Michigan which is a very decentralized state in terms of election administration. How mechanically does this work when you have such a decentralized form of election administration? Yeah, so Michigan is lucky. The Secretary of State's office there has the legal authority to set the parameters for their audits. And Michigan already has a robust auditing structure. They do some of those procedural audits like I was talking about before, just to make sure everything's good. And they do a sort of a rotating audit where they do a more traditional tabulation audit in some jurisdictions every year. But they were really interested in the RLA because it's a cheaper process for them um, in terms of time and effort than their existing traditional audit process. They are able to get a statewide result um, with many fewer ballots than they would have to originally. And their elections are mostly run at the city and township level. And then the counties have some responsibilities for ballots as well. So they've sort of done a two-tiered system where their counties sort of coordinate the locals to get a lot of the data in that the audit runs off of. And then the counties will sort of distribute the list of ballots that need to be pulled in every um, different local jurisdiction. And then the locals will report their numbers back up to the counties who will collate them and send them back to the state. And again, the tools make this very easy. Everybody has their own login that shows them just what they need and they can get their lists and enter their data about each ballot as they're pulling it and auditing it in a really streamlined way. But that's really where you need technology is just to make sure everybody gets their right portion of the process sent to them um, and they can do their piece and then it all rolls up together. So it's been pretty encouraging. You know, one of the fun things to see is we talk about how random sampling really does let you get a representative sample of the entire election, even if it's just a few ballots. And it's one thing to say that and sort of explain that, yes, yeah, statistics tells us that this is true, but it is really fun to see a statewide sample of thousands of ballots and to watch each individual ballot come in and watch the votes come in and be able to see, oh yeah, even though it's just a few ballots, you know, the margin in this county is exactly how the margin in it, that county went originally. Like you get a large enough sample and the math really does work. So it's very fun to actually see the votes come in for every individual ballot and watch watch it, you know, turn out exactly the way it should all throughout the audit. So 
I always think that's fun. It gives it a little bit of life that you don't always get when you're talking about it in an abstract fashion, but to watch those randomly sampled ballots be spot on um, to what we would expect is a pretty cool thing to see. As you're doing these pilots, have you received, after you've done a successful pilot, after you've seen that all the margins match up and things like that, have you heard from local election authorities that have just said, yeah, that was fun. Yeah, I get it, but it, we're still not going to do it. Or, you know, I mean, I, at the state level, it's hard enough to get something passed, but I'm just wondering what reception you've been getting from the pilot counties, aside from what you hear on Twitter and on, you know, the people that liked it are obviously going to talk about how much they like it. I haven't heard of anybody coming out resoundingly against this idea because it was too hard or something like that, but what reception are you getting? You know, before you do the audit, there's this perception, and it is a completely reasonable one because election administrators get new processes and new requirements handed down to them every single year. And this is already an incredibly complex process that we do to run elections. And there's so much that you already have to worry about. Like that's a completely rational reaction to say, no more, I can't handle anymore, please no more. Um, what we tend to find is that people love it once they do it because it's so easy. The process itself, um, you know, I think a lot of people, we get into talking again about the math and the statistics and people get very scared. The process is stupid simple. You look at the ballots that you have in storage and you make a list of every storage container that you have and how many ballots are in each one. And that list doesn't come from your tabulator. It comes from other sources of data that you have. So if you have a box with all your ballots from Precinct 101, you look and see how much vote credit you gave for ballots for voters in Precinct 101. And that tells you how many ballots there should be in that box of ballots that you counted from Precinct 101. So that is a list of ballot boxes and how many ballots are in each one. Once you have that, you get a list back that says, great, go into the box for Precinct 101 and I need you to count down to ballot 101, pull that ballot out, tell me the votes that you see on that ballot. And you do that for a series of ballots. That's it, that's the whole process. Then you can put all your ballots back and you're done. So it, it is not rocket science in any way, shape or form. In a lot of ways, it is easier than a lot of other processes that we ask election administrators to do. So I think there's generally a sigh of relief um, when people actually see it and do it and see that it's actually not as hard as they thought it was gonna be, it's pretty hard to screw up. The one thing that people do tend to realize is that their ballot reconciliation processes and their chain of custody processes ahead of time, ahead of the audit, as they're actually scanning ballots and putting them into storage, that's the piece that often people choose to come back and work on and tighten up a little bit. And that's just good election administration practices in general, right? You should know what's in all your boxes and storage. And the cool part about this is if you know you're gonna do a resclimating audit afterwards, it's very easy as you are scanning your ballots to just be building your ballot manifest as you go. And on election night or soon after, as you're scanning each batch, making sure you know which batch is going into which box and what batch of ballots that was before it came to the scanner you know, what precinct was it for? Are they mail ballots? Are they election day ballots? Are they early voted ballots? Whatever. And so that's where people tend to put in work um, after trying the audit once, but the audit process itself is just, it's not rocket science. It's really easy. And especially if a risk limiting audit is taking the place of a more traditional audit, 
as a more accurate way of determining whether the winner actually won. Instead of just looking at a few precincts, it's usually a lot easier in terms of time. You know, one of the things that happens in traditional audits is you're recounting an entire set of ballots from a particular tabulator. And if your numbers aren't matching exactly, that's a problem. You've got to know why that's happening. And that sort of thing can cause a lot of anxiety, even though we know there are, you know, reasons why you might be off by one that are totally rational and reasonable and explainable, but you do have to do that work to rationalize and explain them and figure out what went wrong. Um, and so in a lot of ways, the RLA doesn't provide as many opportunities for needing to explain that. You do need for the ones you've sampled, especially if you're doing a, a ballot comparison style RLA, that flavor of RLA, um, you do need to sort of explain discrepancies, but it generally presents a lot um, easier workflow and a lot easier way to explain things to people. We find that when folks come watch the audit, it's really powerful to watch a ballot being pulled randomly out of a stack. And you know there are some jurisdictions who will project the paper ballot up on the wall or on a screen so that any observers can actually look at the paper ballot and look at what's being entered um, either on paper tally sheets or, or into the audit tool and see, oh yes, that is indeed a vote for Biden, a vote for Trump, a vote for Jorgensen, whatever, and be able to sort of check the audit. And that's another really key piece of all this auditing work is opening up the process, making it fully transparent, making sure we're allowing um, public observation and the public to come serve on audit boards in some cases. Um, Colorado actually uses public audit boards. In some states, there are rules about who can touch ballots that make that harder to do. And so we end up using election officials, but there's always public observation. And you know, one of the ways we saw this in Georgia, their RLA ended up being a full hand tally because their margin was so close this year. But they had observers in every audit location, um, both party observers, but then nonpartisan observers from the Carter Center who were there specifically just to look at the process and make sure things were being done fairly from a third party standpoint that wasn't affiliated with us, wasn't affiliated with the state. And that provides so much confidence to voters when they can actually be in the room and watching people go through the process. That's one of the best things you can do, you know, even more than understanding it fully, watching it happen tends to be a thing that is really powerful in giving people confidence. I was glad you mentioned the point about margins because an RLA can't necessarily replace if, if you have a very close race, you know, within a half percent or something like that, it's going to be more of a traditional full recount. One thing I noticed we did, as you know, do a pilot here in St. Louis County with RLAs especially in our municipal elections, when we have a lot of very small jurisdictions having elections at the same time, it also matters how many votes there are, doesn't it, to a certain extent? It matters a little bit. It more matters in coordination, right? So one of the rules of the RLAs is that you have to have access to all the ballots in a particular contest. Um, so if you're doing a statewide contest that crosses all the county boundaries, you have to have all the counties participating to get a valid result. You know, you can do an RLA on 90% of the counties, but all that's going to tell you is that the winner won in the 90% and whatever happened in the other 10% could probably change that. So that doesn't tell you a lot. The interesting thing about an RLA, though, is that the number of ballots in the contest 
doesn't actually matter as much as you would intuitively think it would. And that's very cool on bigger contests because if you have a contest with a 10% margin, say that says you have to look at 140 ballots and it's in a city, you have to look at 140 ballots in that city. If you have a statewide contest that's also a 10% margin and it says you have to look at 140 ballots, that's 140 ballots spread across the entire state. So your city might only have to do one ballot or maybe none at all. Um, and so the way that RLAs really shine, the place where they really shine um, is really in these large statewide or nearly statewide contests because that is the place where you're gonna get the most bang for your buck in terms of efficiency because that sample is spread across the entire state and every individual jurisdiction actually might not have to do very much work at all. The thing to remember is people are gonna ask, well, how can I pull four or five ballots in my county and have that matter? And the answer is because you're not checking the outcome in your county, right? You're checking the outcome statewide. And so your four or five ballots are contributing to a larger 140 ballot sample across the state. It's funny because when we do pilots, we often tend to do pilots on some of these smaller elections that are more local so that we have access to all of the ballots, even if only a single county is participating, for example. And I always tell people that's the hardest RLA you're ever gonna have to do. Uh, you know, With the exception of a full hand tally RLA uh, where you do have to look at every ballot because it's so close these local contests are the hardest ones to actually do in terms of effort, in terms of number of ballots you have to look at. We usually start with county pilots. And the other thing we tend to do is get groups of counties, right? Because you tend to have elections that will cross one or two county boundaries. This is particularly salient in places like California and places like Virginia, just because of the way they're organized, their local election jurisdictions usually don't have very many contests that are just one all by themselves that has all the ballots. So they have to partner. And so you start going across boundaries and saying, you know, these six counties have this regional position. Let's audit that together. The other fun thing that happens when you do that, especially if you're coming together in a central location, and we tend to recommend this for pilots that even if you're just piloting in one county, inviting the surrounding counties to come in and watch and, and pulling the other election administrators in if they'd like to serve on an audit board and actually experience the process, there's so much value in terms of just getting your feet wet and figuring out what the process looks like and how it might work in your jurisdiction to doing that. And the fun thing is, you know, election administrators can be a little bit competitive with each other within a state. And it's always fun because you know, someone will have organized their ballot containers really well. And that audit board will have a really easy time counting for the ballots because everything's stacked really neatly. But maybe there's another county that they just threw everything into the box and called it a day. And that audit board is going to have a terrible time stacking everything up neatly so they can count down to the right ballot. So anytime you bring people together, there can be a little bit of a competition towards best practices and who's stored their boxes and their ballots the neatest and things like that election administrators learn from each other. They get better by seeing what other people are doing and everybody's innovating all the time and creating a better way to do X, Y, and Z. So really giving them a chance to be together in a group and learn from each other is sometimes the most valuable thing, even if you decide not to proceed with RLAs, right? <laughs> even if ultimately you decide it's not the way to go for your state, giving people a chance to try something new and, and get in a room together and share best practices is, is really essential. That's a lot harder to do right now because of the pandemic, 
Um, and that's made audits harder to do as well. You know, we've had to adjust a lot of things about transparency and how are you allowing public in to see things? Are you allowing public in to see things? A lot of these offices aren't even open to the public in certain states. So we've had to make some changes, but being able to videotape things and live stream them has been hugely helpful um, on that. And that's another thing too, even if you can't bring surrounding jurisdictions to your pilot audit, um, videotaping the process so that you can share that in a clip with them and say, hey, this is what it looked like for us. And they can watch it at their leisure. That's also really powerful. If a county is interested in doing a pilot or learning more about it, and I know that you have been traveling and extremely busy and things like that, but how does that process work with Voting Works, with your group, things like that? Uh, there's just a generic email, rla at voting.works, W-O-R-K-S, that anybody can email if they want more information about it. We also have risklimitingaudits.org um, is a website we run that's more informational, but you can see uh, all the materials that we didn't create from other counties that have done it, other states that have done it, other press releases, explainers, there's a whole bunch of resources on there just about sort of what it is and the process itself. But anyone is always welcome to reach out to us. We love hearing from local jurisdictions. Even if you just have questions, everything we are trying to do is about explaining this process better to people and explaining it is often the hardest part. I mean, I know we've been pretty wonky today and down in the weeds because election administrators like details and so do I, but explaining the process to your voters, you know, can be as simple as we're doing an audit to make sure the winner won, right? That's really all your audience cares about as far as voters are concerned. Um, but every time we get a call or an email with questions that helps us better refine how we're talking about it and make it more understandable for others. So no question is too small. There is no stupid question. We love hearing from election administrators who have questions about the process or want to think about doing it in their state. We do run pilot programs either with states or with locals who are interested. The tool that we have, Arlo, which is um, an open source tool, if you have the capability to run an open source tool in your office, it's free for your use. Um, otherwise, we can help you set it up. And we just encourage people to get their feet wet, try it, right? It's become a buzzword. You know, we're starting to see federal legislation that mentions RLAs. Um, so my recommendation is always try it before somebody makes you do it. <laughs> Figure out what it's all about so that you can give an informed opinion to your state legislatures, to your national legislators before it becomes something that's being thrown at you as one more thing to do. Please feel free and reach out because we're happy to help anybody we're all about practicality and we realize that, you know, we're not here to make perfect the enemy of the good. We will start you wherever you are in your process um, and help you get on the audit train and, and start to make that better. And that doesn't mean perfect the first time or the second time or the third time. It just means continual improvement and learning, learning from our mistakes and getting better as we go. All right. Okay, thanks everybody for listening to another episode of High Turnout, Wide Margins. Big thank you to Monica Childers for being our guest today and hope you all try out that RLA. Please tune in next time for another episode of High Turnout, Wide Margins.